Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my might, all of my strength. Lord, I love you when things don't go right. Lord, I love you when I don't do right. Lord, I want you to know that in spite of me, in spite of my attitude, in spite of technology, in spite of the devil, in spite of everything that comes against us, Lord, we don't always act perfect. We don't always respond perfect. But I want you to know that when I regather myself, when I regather my thoughts, when I regather why I came here, Lord, it's to worship you. Lord, it's to praise you. It's to magnify you. I think we ought to stand to our feet right now. I think we need to begin to regather why we are here. Lord, I'm not here to get a blessing. I'm here to bless your holy name. God, I didn't come just to receive. I came to give back unto you, God. Worthy is the Lord our God. Worthy is the Lamb of God. I feel a strong unction of the Holy Ghost. I have a strong word from God for somebody. And I, I'd like to say, you know, the people that are up here and are involved in leadership, I know that my wife is not happy with the music today. That has nothing to do with musicians. It has nothing to do with singers. My wife is a perfectionist. And she wants to please the people. And I know, and I'm probably telling on her, and I don't even know where she's at. But I know she's not happy. That has nothing to do with anything. That has to do with the expectations that leaders set for themselves. And I know the sign choir is not happy. Because their aim was to deliver a perfect, final, farewell to Sister Heather and they want everybody to be pleased and when things don't go right leaders begin to get very nervous it took every fiber of control in my body to not come to the platform just shut it down and take over because that's what's in me and I went to do that and I felt the Holy Ghost stop me dead in my tracks and say, leave it alone. I'm working. Most of you in the audience, you'll go home and you, you won't think anything of it because you just know that things, sometimes technology messes up and it's no big deal. You have amazing personalities. But the leaders will go home fighting. They will. But I want all of the leaders to know that the Lord's hand was involved in that. He's been involved from the beginning of this service all the way to the end. And you did not fail. You didn't come unprepared. I feel to speak directly to the leaders for just a moment. Just, just give me a little bit of time. I know you're standing, but I'm going to be standing longer. But to the leaders and those that are going to beat themselves up tonight, know that you are not in control. That you are a pawn on the board. And the Lord is making the moves in this service. And he took it out of your hand. And hopefully by the end of this message, you will know why. Sister Heather Granger is moving to misery. Missouri, however you want to say that. And um, she's not only my wife's best friend, but she's a great friend of mine. And she will be dearly missed. And over the last several years, she's been working with me in the ministry, and she's been running the singles ministry here. And I don't know if she just built that thing to get herself hitched and out of here, but it worked. But she texted, and she, or she emailed, and she said, you know, I, I want to come back in August and still run that. And 
And so that tells me that she wasn't just in it for a man. That man had just been a side perk of the job. But nevertheless, I'm happy for her. And we pray that God goes with her. And thank you, Heather, for the years of your loyalty and your sacrifices to this church. I, I really wish you were not leaving. It, it saddens me. But I understand and I completely support you. I'd also like to say that I'm glad to have Brother Jeff and Sister Amy are visiting here today, and Brother Jeff and Brother Glenn's son, and we're glad they're here. And I give honor to my bishop, who he's trying to be here next Sunday. So there's two forces pressing against themselves. He's trying to be here, and I'm trying to get him to stay home. Last thing I want is our bishop trying to push himself and trying to overdo it. But he is, like I commented last Sunday, he's a social butterfly and he wants to be among the people. And this is his family and his power is stronger than mine, so he'll probably win that fight. But I love our bishop and I pray for his speedy return. So if you have your Bibles while you're standing, I'd like to go to book 1 Samuel chapter 21 1 Samuel chapter 21 I'd like to begin reading in verse 10 I will be reading from the English Standard Version 1 Samuel 21.10 reads And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Asius the king of Gath, the servants of Asius, said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Asius the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them, and he pretended to be insane in the hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Asius said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him into me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David departed from there, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down to him there. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Brother Larry, would you say prayer of this service? Amen, and you may be seated. I titled this message, The Song of the Hunted. And the portion of scripture that we read in Samuel, David is already being pursued by his father-in-law, Saul, and his life is being threatened. And Saul is hunting him to kill him because Saul is threatened in his mind and has a haunting thought that David will be the usurper of the throne. And Saul's way of protecting his power and protecting his, his station in life is to kill the usurper to the throne. And if Saul can rid himself of David, then the reign of Saul will be extended. And so he's constantly trying to seek and destroy David. 
And David is running from his father-in-law, and he's fleeing. And he goes over to the king of Gath. And when he stands before the king in a foreign nation, in a foreign country, the elders and the wise men of the land begin to say in front of the king, and they are talking about the reputation of David. Now this event that's happening is after David has killed Goliath. David has already done many things in battle and has proven himself in the land of Israel. And David has a reputation not only among the Hebrews, but among the Gentile nations as well. And when he stands before the king of Gath, the king of Gath and his men begin to say, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. You see, they knew the reputation of David. And so David went from running from his father-in-law. But when a foreign king began to repeat his own reputation, the Bible says that David took these words to heart. Because David was using a discernment of spirit here. That when the king was reciting the war achievements and the victories of war, that David had done. The king was not doing this to brag on David. The king of Gath was not doing this to say how wonderful of a man David was. What the king was saying is, isn't this the man that slew giants? Isn't this the man that has killed Philistines? Isn't this the war hero? Isn't he? What he was saying is, who's coming into my house is a man of war is a threat to my kingship, is a threat to my lands. And even though this man comes to me in peace, I know his history, that he has killed and filled signs, that he has he's crushed our people, and he has usurped thrones. David begins to hear this. And David, in a very defenseless state, begins to change his continents. He changed how he behaved in front of the king of Gath. He began to act like he's crazy. He began to act like a madman. It says that he let his spit run down his beard. He began to drool, and he began to claw at the walls and, and take stones and make weird cave drawing markings because he was trying to sell the idea that he was a madman. Why? Because he was trying to turn the, keys, the king's eye from killing him, from eliminating him, to just letting him go. He had to make himself appear as though he was not threatening the kingship of Gath. So the king bought the charade, and he bought into it, he believed it. So he let David go. And this is where we're going to begin to preach a little bit. Sister Joyce is here today, and she said, Pastor, last time I was here, you did pretty good. I expect more of the same. Look at her hiding and squirming over there. Sister Joyce, I don't know if I'll be as good as I was then, but I know God's better today than he was that day. Every day, God gets better. Every day, God outdoes himself. But this is where we're going to pick up and begin to preach and teach a little bit. I'm I, not confident in my ministry. I'm confident in the Lord. I'm not confident in my words, for this mic could kick off in a minute. Brother Ray could expedite that process if he wanted. Technology fails, but the Word of God does not fail. The will of God will be done in our midst, whether we like it or whether we don't like it. The will of God will be done. We can plot and we can plan out a service. My wife, every time she lays the music in her mind, she does what a preacher does. We're going to sing this song, and they're going to react like this. 
Every preacher that's ever preached a message in his mind preaches it first a thousand times. And every time the words come out of our mind, we, we think the congregation will respond that way. And guess what? People do people. But it doesn't mean that it was the wrong songs. It doesn't mean that it was the wrong message. What it means is that people are people and God is God. And God's going to do whatever it takes to get through to His people. And in our message, God is doing whatever it takes to get through to David. We're going to get there. David was already anointed of Saul as king of Israel. He was the Lord's anointed. And he was not yet holding the seat of Israel, but his father-in-law was. But he ran from fear of him. And then he ran now from the king of Gath. But this is what happens in verse 1 of, of 1 Samuel 22. It says, David departed from the king after he played a madman. And he goes and he escapes into the cave of Adullam. And his brothers and all his father's house hear of it and they go down there to him. But we can read a verse like that and we just think that happened like that. They didn't have cars. They didn't have trains. They didn't have planes. They had two feet and donkeys. That's what they had. Some had horses, not all. And they didn't have cell phones. And they didn't have TV. And they didn't have email. So there wasn't a text message that went from David saying, Hey, Dad, I'm just letting you know I'm all right. I'm going to go to the cave of Abdullam. I'll see you when I can. That didn't happen. David went and hid in a cave. And somewhere along the line, somebody found out. And somebody told another person, and somebody told another person, and over time, word reached his family. And then his family had to secure their own livestock and their own, their own daily business, and then had to load up the donkeys and load up the horses and begin to walk down to where David was. We're not talking a day. We're not talking a week. We're talking a couple months. That David sat in a cave. There are three psalms in the book of Psalms that are attributed to David's writing while he was in a cave. In the cave, he wrote Psalm 34, Psalm 57, and Psalm 142. While he was hiding out in caves, David wrote and penned some of the greatest Psalms in the Bible. Some of the most greatest uplifting and encouraging but haunting words in all the word of God was penned while a future king was in distress, while he was discouraged, while he was disappointed, came some of the most lovely words. It wasn't wrote while David sat on the throne as king of Israel and king of Judah. These words that hang in our kitchens, put on doormats, that are put on murals in the wall, that are put on our, our phones as wallpaper, the words of these psalms that you will know and you will recognize came when he was alone in a damp, musty, cold place in his life. He wrote songs of the hunted. He sits there in the cave. But Psalm 34, this is the, 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 the caption of the psalm. David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away, he runs into a cave and he writes this, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. And His praise shall continually be in my mouth. How many times do we sing that? How many times do we say that? How many times do we pray that to God? But that was wrote when David was hiding out. Oh, I'm going to bless the Lord 
at all times. What David was saying is I'll bless God when I sit on the throne and I'll bless God when I'm hiding in the cave. This was wrote in a time of darkness when he said, I will bless the Lord at all times. We quoted after the healing, Brother Anthony. We quoted after the miracle. We quoted when things are good. But David wrote it when things were bad. David wrote it before the miracle. David wrote it before the victories. He goes on to say in verse 4, I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and He delivered me from all... Somebody needs to hear the Word of God. And He delivered me from all my fears. You've been praying wrong, honey. You've been asking God to deliver you from your enemies. You're not, you don't need deliverance from your enemies. You need deliverance from your own mind. I think this is going to happen. I feel this is going to take place. I think this is going on. I think this is being talked about. I think this is happening. You ought to think, not my will, but thy will be done. All the bad things that's taken place in my life, I'll tell you what I think about it. I will bless the Lord at all times, and His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Somebody is here, and you are, you're getting ready to pen the song of the hunted in your life. You see, the problem with this service, and I mean the problem with this service, is that it was plotted and it was penned. Here's the write-up. This is the service schedule. My wife makes these up every service. Looks really good. It's very OCD. Spacing is on point. Spellings on point. Colors match. It's perfect. The problem is, the people doing this are not perfect. The technology being used is not perfect. You see, God does not use perfect people. He uses broken things. This service, the problem with it is it was designed and laid out too perfectly. That every song fits. My wife and I were even talking. And I appreciate her spirit, but she comes to me and she's like, I want to do this in service. Will it meet? Will it flow with your sermon? Will it go? Does it? Why? Because she cares about the flow and the anointing and the will of God. But this is man and woman trying to plan the things of God. And she's imperfect and I'm imperfect. And we cannot do things perfectly. But God can in us. Listen, honey. When you're beating yourself saying up the people didn't respond to the songs the way you want, it's because God was breaking down this service that he might be able to minister to some. When we wonder why the, the track began to skip, it's because God hit the pause button. God hit the, I'm going to shake this thing a little bit. I'm going to break this little thing a bit. Why? Because in the brokenness comes the word of God. Listen, David, it says that he was handsome. It says he was talented. It says that he was anointed. And this young, handsome, talented, anointed man killed Goliath in front of all of Israel, in front of all of the army of the Philistines. His reputation was being sung about and danced about. And now I really want to begin to preach a little thing. You see, David, we, we have a saying in this church. 
when you dance, I'll dance. David had the nation of Israel dancing when he danced. David had the nation of Israel singing when he sang. They wrote about it. They talked about it. They said, foreign kings said, hey, there's been songs written about you. There's been dancing about you happening. I felt the unction of the Holy Ghost that there's an apostolic Pentecostal person that you've been anointed in your life. You've been talented in your life. Things have went right in your life. There's been victories in your life. But the call of God is still not complete in you. David, the call of the kingship was still not yet complete in his life. He had had victories. He had already been anointed of Samuel. He had already killed the giants. Then why? Did God allow all of this disaster to come on him and put him in a cave of destruction? Why did God do that to his anointed? David was the Lord's anointed. And yet God, not the devil, God drove him right into the cave of Adullam all by himself, without anybody at his side, without anybody to give him good advice, without anybody to pat him on the back and say, it's going to be all right. This thing is going to take a turn for the better. He sat there with the spiders and the snakes and the smell of must in the air. The dampness, the lack of sunlight, the coldness of the stone beneath him. Here's why the Lord brought David to that place. The destiny of David was not to destruction, but to deliverance. But if David was going to sit on the throne, and David was going to do things that were better than his predecessor, King Saul, if David was going to change Israel, if David was going to be the anointed of God and do things that had never been done before, there had to come a point when he would become broken. David was not broken before this point. He was a young man that had been given the keys to the kingdom. David's out being a shepherd. And all of a sudden the prophet comes and says, I dub thee king of Israel. He didn't do anything. He's just having fun in God. He's just having a great time having church. And all of a sudden, when after the trumpets are played and after everybody danced with him and everybody sang with him and everybody celebrated with him, it started to take a turn for the worse. David's in the cave, running from these men, penning some of the greatest psalms there is. God was taking him to a place. You see, David had never been to a place of discouragement before. David had never felt disappointment before. David didn't know what it was like to be promised things and then to feel that they were being stripped from him. He didn't know what it felt like to have the ones he loved and his friends who he thought were closest to his heart turn their backs and talk about him and gossip about him. David never experienced these things because he was the good-looking man. He was the, the, the musically talented one. He was a warrior in battle. He had every box checked except the brokenness box. David, if you're going to lead people, if you're going to lead the kingdom of God, God's not looking for a perfect vessel. He's looking for a broken vessel. 
brought the vessel before the Lord. She broke it open. And she began to pour the alabaster on him. And the man in the room said, What have you done? Why have you broken the vessel? It could have been sold if it would have been intact and perfect. But the Lord rejoiced in the brokenness of the gift. He rejoiced in the brokenness of the vessel. He's not interested in the outside shell. He's interested in what comes out of a broken vessel. For the gift was in the vessel and it was released when it was broken. And there's many people that are being broken in your lives right now and you're wondering why. It's because God is trying to get what's inside out of you. happens in the cave. Deuteronomy 8.3 says this. God was doing this with all of Israel. He says, and he humbled you and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna. Manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know. That he might make you know. He let him hunger he let them thirst. He let them feel depression and destitute and deserted. God let them feel these things so that He might make you to know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. What happens when you're put in the cave and everything, somebody, your life's been going good. You had everything set up. You had all the, the, the boxes checked. You had all the T's crossed and the I's dotted. You had your act together. But all of a sudden, lately, it's unraveled before you. I'm telling you that God's got you in a cave. The cave He's prepared you for is one that's going to break you wide open. In the cave, I wrote down my notes that in the breaking down process, in the cave, is a breaking of self-will. There's a breaking of self-reliance. A breaking of self-independence. A breaking of our pride and a breaking of our arrogance. In the cave is when he remantles, he rebuilds, he repurposes, and he relinquishes. In the cave, we remake our desire to do his will, not our own will. In the cave, we realign our purpose to build his kingdom, not our kingdom. In the cave, we rededicate our lives for His glory, not our glory. Problem is, is the people are too perfect. And God can't use perfect people. But God can use broken people. A perfect vessel is hiding what's inside perfect vessel doesn't show any cracks, any flaws, and that's not mankind. We look at cracks in the surface and we look at imperfections and we look at being broken as a negative thing, but God looks at it as a way for His glory to be put inside. The vessel's perfect then there's no cracks that God can slip in. There is only one perfect thing in the entire existence of heaven and earth. 
and that is God. The angels are not even perfect, but they dwell in His perfection. And when we die and we go to heaven and we've got our glorified body, we still will never be perfect, but dwell in His perfection. We've got to get rid of the idea that we are striving for perfection. What we ought to strive for is His perfection in a broken vessel. I've been watching quite some time now. I, I like watching some shows about sailing. And I've been watching one of these shows. And this couple went and they, they bought a boat that had been wrecked. The keel on it had ran into a reef. And the boat was in auction for salvage. And so they spent their life savings to buy a salvaged boat. What happened is when the boat, the keel, is the fin underneath before the rudder, and when, when that fin crashed into the reef, it's connected to the frame of the boat, not the hull. Basically what happened is the grid inside, the, the framework of the boat separated from the outside shell. It would be like our skeleton, our bones separating from our flesh. And so what they did, and they've been doing, is they began to strip this boat down to nothing. They take out all the interior, everything inside got taken out so they could get right down to the foundation of the boat. And when they got down to the foundation, they, they, they saw all the places that it had been dislodged, that it had been broken. And they started sanding it, and they started grinding it down. And when they got all of the imperfections ground off and sanded down, and they had all the broken pieces removed, they began the repairing process to connect the frame with the shell. They put fiberglass and epoxy, and then fiberglass and epoxy, and more fiberglass and epoxy, and more fiberglass and epoxy, layer after layer after layer, strengthening how the grid worked, connected to the hull of the boat, strengthening it over and over and over and over. And when they brought in the surveyor, the surveyor said it's now stronger than what it was when it came out of the factory. The strength of this boat now can handle the big seas of voyage and passage greater than it ever could before. Some of us have been sailing around in little gulfs, in little, little, little areas, marinas, protected environments and we've looked real good with our high sails up boy we're handling these seas but we're in a protected marina we're in a protected cove everything's out when this boat this this Beneteau 49 gorgeous looking boat when it hit the reef they said it was a sunshiny day the wind was perfect the waves were good the owner was just sitting on the boat having a great time, enjoying his wonderful vessel, and it crashed. Somebody, you've been walking with God, and everything was just roses and kisses and care bears and rainbows. Sister Ange puts on a good performance, has great song selection. The musicians play wonderfully. The drums beat great. Everything goes good. And we just coast with our praise and we coast in our worship and we're doing all right. We go home and we say, God moved. We go home and say, the preacher preached well. I hope he does better next time. 
We go home in our little apostolic bubble. And all's well that ends well. Except somebody has ran aground. I feel it in the Holy Ghost. Some ship has crashed. And the sun was out. The choir was singing good. The preaching was okay. And it still crashed. You've been asking God why. I've got an answer for you in the Holy Ghost. The reason why is you've been sailing your comfortable seas, but your destination is to make a journey, a passage across some rough seas, but the vessel you're traveling in isn't strong enough to make the journey, and God's going to put you in a cave, and He's going to dismantle you. He's going to do some grinding on you. He's going to do some sanding on you, but then He's going to begin to rebuild you. You think you're strong enough, but you're not. I feel the unction of the Holy Ghost. That you've been living in delusion. You've been living in false confidence, thinking you've got your act together. Thinking everything's going good. You've got your college planned out. You've got your work schedule planned out. You've got your dream house picked out. You've got your dream car picked out. You've got your dream children planned. You've got everything set in motion. But where the foundation is joined to your flesh, there's a problem. I don't know the inner workings of everyone's heart. I have a hard enough time trying to figure out my own. I just know the words that God said in my heart and putting in my mouth for everyone that's in this place and everybody watching online. I don't know the struggle. I don't know the fight. I just know the journey. And the journey will begin when we come out of the cave. The strengthening, the rebuilding, the repurposing that goes on inside the cave is so that the kingdom of God would not repeat what's been done in the past, but go on further and stronger and better than ever before. The kingdom of God had Saul at the throne. It had Saul sitting there with his hand on the scepter. And it was crashing and burning. And God looked at David and said, I've chosen David just like I chose Saul. Saul was minding his own business and was handed the keys to the kingdom. And David was minding his own business and handed the keys to the kingdom. But this time around, you see, there was no cave in Saul's life. There was no moment of brokenness in Saul's life. There was no time when everything was taken from him. Everything was just given him. God looked a second time and said, My new anointed will be broken. And I will get the glory in his life. Our scripture that we read was 1 Samuel 21 and 22. That was our scripture. First Samuel 22. You read of David running into a cave for his life, depressed, beaten, defeated. Writing great psalms, and I had more in my notes, but time's failing me. I'm not going to read them all. Why don't you go read those psalms this week? But one book later, 2 Samuel, in the same exact chapter, 22. One book later, same chapter. This is how it starts. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day. 
when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. The other three cave psalms were wrote while he was being pursued. This one is wrote when he's delivered. The musicians would come. He starts off, he says, in verse 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. You ever seen that hanging on somebody's wall? You ever read that? Has that ever popped up on your phone as the, the scripture for the day? You see, this is a man that was called to be king and then all of a sudden totally, completely dismantled and rebuilt from scratch. And when it was done, he sat down and he said, I'm going to write a new psalm. I'm going to sing a new song. I'm going to dance a little bit different than I did in my youth. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and my horn of salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies for the waves of death they encompassed me torrents of destruction assailed me the cords of Sheol Hell entangled me. Snares of death confronted me. But in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God I called. And from his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry came to his ears. what happened when David's cry came to the ears of the Lord then the earth reeled and the earth rocked the foundations of heaven trembled and quaked because he was angry smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth glowing coals flamed forth from him and he bowed the heavens and he came down thick darkness was under his feet and he rode on an angel and flew he was seen on the wings of the wind he made darkness around him his canopy the thick clouds in a gathering of water and out of brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. For the Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows, and he scattered them, lightning, and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare. And at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils, he sent from on high. He took me and he drew me out of many waters. He rescued me 
from my strong enemy, those who hated me, those that were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me into a broad place and he rescued me because he delighted in me. Goes on to say, and I know I'm reading scripture, but I know God's speaking through his word right now. Verse 33, he says, This God is my strong refuge and was made a way that I might be blameless. For the bread, the warrior David was. He thought he was a big shot then, but it was going to be a bigger shot when God was done. He said, after I went through the dismantling process, I was delivered. And this is how I am when I came out of the cave. He made my feet like the feet of a deer, and he set me on secure heights. His trains, he trains my hands for war. What do you mean? You already knew how to fight. Oh, no, he didn't. But now he does. He said he trained my hands for war so that my arms can bend a a bow of bronze. You keep giving me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness has made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I have pursued my enemies, and I've destroyed them. I did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with the strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink underneath me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. Those who hated me and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save them. They cried to the Lord, but he didn't answer them. fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire in the streets. This isn't a man bragging on his strength. He's bragging on the delivering power of God that strengthened the journey. scriptures I'm going to read and then I'm going to do an altar call. David keeps going in verse 47. He says, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and brought down people under me. Who brought me out from my enemies? You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the men of violence. For this, I praise you, O Lord. Among the nations, I will sing praises to your name. Great, great, great salvation not power not might not miracles not fame not riches David said after it was all said and done he said great salvation 
brings to his king. And he showed steadfast love, love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. There's a song in your heart, and it is the song of a hunted person. You feel that hell's been hunting you. You feel the enemies in this life have been after you. You feel the devil himself has made you a personal target of his. There was a day in your Christian walk where you were sailing the seas and you thought everything was going good, but when the sun was up at high noon, and everything tasted good in your mouth, you crashed. And everything inside has been ripped out, and everything you knew has been tossed aside. Everything you thought has been undone before you. And you're sitting beached, and you're asking God, why? Why? was I, God, that this happened? What a failure I must have been to cause this. What a loser I was. How incompetent was I to not overcome? How come I didn't see the reef up ahead? I've been captain of my life a long time. How did I do that? in his perfection entering into the not perfect. There wasn't a way into that ship. There wasn't a way into that vessel. So God allowed that vessel to be split open in his hand of mercy and his hand of compassion and his hand of long-suffering has been reached into the, the shell of our heart that we had locked up tight as can be. And with his hand, he's reaching in and he's beginning to take out the bitterness and he's taking out the confusion and he's taking out the fears and he's taking out the depression. And God is massaging and sanding and fixing the broken heart. Maybe the scripture that God gave you that says he draws nigh unto the brokenhearted was wrote in the cave that David fled called the Dulam. Psalm 34, baby, that he wrote in the cave of Abdullam says this. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers him out of his troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That was wrote in the cave. We're not going to be destroyed in your situation. Hear me, I'm speaking a word of faith to you. You're not going to be destroyed in this situation. You're not going to go under. 
you're not going to die in this cave. But you are going through a process, a process of deliverance. You're going through a process where he is taking everything you knew and he is rebuilding it. sing the song be exalted be exalted be exalted be exalted David wrote in that cave he said be exalted be exalted than anybody else. This room is filled with broken people. Filled with broken people and you're looking at one of them. I know brokenness. I know what I was before I was broken and I know what I am now that God is strengthening the brokenness. one day with the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning of a thing. I'm opening these altars for anyone that wants to come. Is there any broken vessels that needs to come and begin to pour out 
your anointing. Pour out your oil on this altar before God. And say, God, I'm going to break this vessel open before you. And I'm going to begin to pour myself out before you. Oh, God, be exalted in my brokenness. Oh, God, be exalted in my humanity, God. altars are open for any that would. Sing. 